0: Section 17 of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1, Section 17. Chapter 6 The Organization of the Church by C. H. Turner, Part 1. Christian Organization was the means of expressing that which is behind and beneath all its details namely the underlying and penetrating consciousness of the oneness of the christian body and the christian life it was the process by which the separate charismata could be developed and differentiated while at the same time the unity of the whole was safeguarded looked at it in this light the history of organization in the christian church is in its mainstream the history of two processes partly successive partly simultaneous but always closely related the process by which the individual communities became complete in themselves sufficient for their own needs microcosms of the church at large and the process by which the communities thus organized as units proceeded to combine in an always more formal and more extensive federation But these two processes were not merely successive. Just as there never had been a time when the separate communities, before they became fully organized, were devoid of outside ministration or supervision, so there never came a period when the fully organized communities lived only to themselves. Unity was preserved by informal means till the growing size and number of the communities and the increasing complexity of circumstances made informal means inadequate and further formal organization imperative and again though the formal self-expression of the individual community necessarily preceded the formal self-expression of the federation of communities yet the history of organizations within the single community does not come to an abrupt end as soon as the community becomes complete in itself all functions essential for the christian life are henceforth there but as numbers increase and needs and duties multiply the superabundant vitality of the organism shows itself in the differentiation of new though always subordinate functions and therefore side by side with the well-known history of the federation of the Christian churches it will be our business to trace also the obscure and less recognized, but perhaps not less important, processes which were going on, simultaneously with the larger process of the federation, in the individual churches, and especially in those of them which were most influential as models to the rest in the early days of christianity the first beginnings of a new community were of a very simple kind indeed the local organization had at first no need to be anything but rudimentary just because the community was never thought of as complete in itself apart from its apostolic founder or other representatives of the missionary ministry presbyters and deacons No doubt existed in these communities from the first. Presbyters were ordained for each church as it was founded on St. Paul's first missionary journey. Bishops and deacons constitute together with the holy people the Church of Philippi. These purely local officials were naturally chosen from among the first converts in each district, and to them were naturally assigned the duties of providing for the permanently recurring needs of Christian life. Especially the sacraments of baptism. St. Paul indicates that baptism was not normally the work of an apostle and the Eucharist, but the evidence of the earlier epistles of St. Paul is decisive as to the small relative importance which this local ministry enjoyed. The true ministry of the first generation was the ordered hierarchy first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers of which the apostle speaks with such emphasis in his first epistle to the corinthians next in due order after the ranks of the primary ministry came the gifts of miracles then powers then gifts of healing and only after these wrapped up in the obscure designation of help and governments can we find room for the local service of presbyters and deacons Even without the definite evidence of the Acts and the Pastoral Epistles and St. Clement's of Rome, it would be already clear enough that the powers of the local ministry were narrowly limited, and that to the higher ministry, the exercise of whose gifts was not confined to any one community but was independent of place altogether, belonged not only the general right of supervision and ultimate authority over local churches, But also in particular, the imparting of the gift of the Spirit, whether in what we call confirmation or what we call ordination. In effect, the church of the first age may almost be said to have consisted of a laity grouped in local communities and a ministry that moved about from place to place to do the work of missionaries to the heathen and of preachers and teachers to the converts. Most of St. Paul's epistles to churches are addressed to the community. The holy people, the brethren, without any hint in the title of the existence of a local clergy, the apostle and the Christian congregation, are the two factors of primary account. The Didache shows us how right down to the end of the first century, in remoter districts, the communities depended on the services of wandering apostles, or of prophets and teachers, sometimes wandering, sometimes settled and how they held by comparison, in very light esteem, their presbyters and deacons. Even a well-established church, like that of Corinth, with half a century of history behind it, was able, however unreasonably, to refuse to recognize in its local ministry any right of tenure other than the will of the community, and when the Roman church intervened, to point out the gravity of the blow thus struck at the principle of christian order it was still the community of rome which addressed the community of corinth and this custom of writing in the name or to the address of the community continued a relic of an earlier age well into the days of the strictest monarchical episcopacy it was not so much the bishop's headship of the community as the multiplication of the clergy which as we shall see Made the real gap between the bishop and his people. Most of our documents, then of the first century, show us the local churches neither self sufficient nor self contained, but dependent for all special ministries upon the visits of the superior officers of the church. On the other hand, most of our documents of the second century, in its earlier years, the Ignatian letters, and as an ever-increasing bulk of evidence as the century goes on, shows us the local churches complete in themselves, with an officer at the head of each, who concentrates in his hands both the powers of the local ministers and those also which had at first been reserved exclusively for the general ministry, but who is himself, as strictly limited in the extent of his jurisdiction to a single church as were the humbler presbyter bishops from whom he derived his name. When we have explained how the supreme powers of the general ministry were made to devolve on an individual who belonged to the local ministry, we have explained the origin of episcopacy. With that problem of explanation, we have not here to deal in detail. We have only to recognize the result and its importance. When in and with the bishop, the local church sufficed in itself for the extraordinary as well as for the ordinary functions of church government and christian life in those early days of episcopacy among the diminutive groups of christian strangers and sojourners which were dotted over the pagan world of the second century we must conceive of a quite special closeness of relation between a bishop and his people regularly and in all cities and it was in the provinces where city life was most developed that the church made quickest progress, a bishop is found at the head of the community of Christians. And his intimacy with his people was in those primitive days unhindered by the interposition of any hierarchy of functionaries or attendants. His flock was small enough for him to carry out to the letter the pastoral metaphor and to call his sheep by name if the consent of the Christian people had always been, as Clement of Rome tells us, a necessary preliminary to the ordination of Christian ministers, in the case of the appointment of their bishop, the people did not consent merely. They elected. Not till the fourth century did the clergy begin to acquire first a separate and ultimately a predominant share in the process of choice. Even though the angel of the church... In the Apocalypse may not have been, in the mind of the seer, at all intended to refer to the bishop, yet this quasi-identification of the community with its representative exactly expresses the ideal of second-century writers. The whole number of you I welcome in God's name in the person of Onesimus. In Polybius I beheld the whole multitude of you, writes Ignatius to the Christians of Ephesus and Trallus be subject to the bishop and to one another in his injunction to the magnesians the power of christian worship is in the prayer of the bishop and the whole church so too to justin martyr the brethren as we are called and the president are the essential figures in the portraiture of the christian society if it is true that in the first century the apostle founder and the community as founded by him are the two outstanding elements of Christian organization. It is no less true that in the second century the twin ideas of bishop and people attained a prominence which throws all subordinate distinctions into the background. Even as late as the middle of the third century, we see Cyprian, who was quite misunderstood if he is looked on. Only as an innovator in the sphere of organization, maintaining and emphasizing at every turn the intimate union in normal church life of bishop and laity, while he also recognizes the duty of the laity in abnormal circumstances to separate from the communion of the bishop who had proved himself unworthy of their choice. It is the people in the first place which has the power both of electing worthy bishops and of spurning the unworthy similar witness for the east is born in the same century by the didascalia apostolorum where bishop and laity are addressed in turn and their mutual relations are almost the main theme of the writer but this personal relation of the bishop to his flock which was the ideal of church administrators and thinkers from ignatius to cyprian could only find effective realization in a relatively small community the very success of the Christian propaganda, and the consequent increase everywhere of the number of the Christian people, made some further development of organization imperative. Especially during the long peace between Severus and Decius, 211 to 249, did recruits pour in. In the larger towns, at least, there could be now no question of personal acquaintance between the president of the community and all its members. No doubt it, might have been possible to preserve the old intimacy at the cost of unity and to create a bishop for each congregation but the sense of civic unity was an asset of which christians instinctively availed themselves in the service of religion if practical convenience sometimes dictated the appointment of bishops in villages these corpuscopoi were only common in districts where as in cappadocia cities were few and where consequently the extent of the territory of each city was unduly large for supervision by the single bishop of the polis normally even in days before there was any idea of the formal demarcation of territorial jurisdiction the polis or civitas with all its dependent lands was the natural sphere of the individual bishop's authority and within the walls of the city it was never so much as conceivable that the ecclesia should be divided. When the Council of Nicaea was making provision for the reinstatement in clerical rank of Novatianist clergy willing to be reconciled with the Church, the arrangement was subject always to the maintenance of the principle that there should not be two bishops in the city. The very rivalries between different claimants of one episcopal throne serve to bring out the same result. Witness the earliest instances of Pope and anti-pope. Of which we have documentary knowledge, those of Cornelius and Novatian in 251, and of Liberius and Felix about 357. In the latter case, Constantius, with a politician's eye to compromise, recommended the joint recognition of both claimants. But the Roman people, Theodoret, to whose history we owe the details, is careful to note that he has recorded the very language used. Saluted the reading of the rescript in the circus with the mocking cry that two leaders would do very well for the factions at the games, but that there could only be one God, one Christ, one bishop. Exactly the same reason had been given a century earlier, in almost the same words, by the Roman confessors when writing to Cyprian for their abandonment of Novatian and adhesion to Cornelius. We are not unaware that there is one God and one christ the lord whom we have confessed one holy spirit and therefore only one true bishop in the communion of the catholic church both in east and west in the largest cities as well as in the smallest the society of the faithful was conceived of as an indivisible unit and its oneness was expressed in the person of its one bishop the parochia of christians in any locality was not like a hive of bees which when numbers multiplied inconveniently could throw off a part of the whole to be henceforward a complete and independent organization under separate control the necessity for new organization had to be met in some way which would preserve at all costs the oneness of the body and its head it followed that the work and duties which the individual bishop could no longer perform in person must be shared with Or deputed to subordinate officials. New offices came into being in the course, especially of the third century, and the growth of this cleris or clergy, and its gradual acquisition during the fourth and fifth centuries, of the character of a hierarchy nicely ordered in steps and degrees, is a feature of ecclesiastical history of which the importance has not always been adequately realized. Of such a hierarchy, the germs had no doubt existed from the beginning and indeed presbyters and deacons were as we have seen older component parts of the local communities than were the bishops themselves in the ignatian theory bishop presbyters and deacons are the three universal elements of organization without which nothing can be called a church and the distinction between the two subordinate orders in their original scope and intention, was just the distinction between the two sides of clerical office which is the bishop were in some sort combined—the spiritual and the administrative. Presbyters were the associates of the bishop in his spiritual character, deacons in his administrative functions. Our earliest documents define the work of presbyters by no language more commonly than by that which expresses the pastoral relation of a shepherd to his flock the flock in which the holy ghost hath set you as overseers to shepherd the church of god the presbyters i exhort shepherd the flock of god among you not as lords of the ground but as examples of the flock until the great shepherd shall appear but in proportion as the local organization became episcopal the pastoral idea and even the name of poymion concentrated itself upon the bishop to ignatius the distinctive function of the presbyters is rather that of a council gathered round the bishop as the apostles were gathered round christ an idea not unconnected perhaps with the position of the presbyters in the christian assembly for there is no reason to doubt that primitive tradition underlies the arrangement of the early Christian basilicas, where the bishop's chair stood in the center of the apse behind the altar, and the consensus presbyterorum extended right and left in a semicircle, as represented in the apocalypse. So, too, in the didascalia apostolorum, Syriac and Latin, the one definite function allotted to the presbyters is that of concilium et curiae ecclesiae. Besides pastoral duties, however, the Pauline epistles bring presbyters into definite relation also with the work of teaching. If teachers were originally one grade of the general ministry, they would naturally have settled down in the communities earlier than the itinerant apostles or prophets. Pastors and teachers are already closely connected in the epistle to the Ephesians, and the first epistle to Timothy shows us that speaking and teaching, logos and was a function to which some at least of the presbyters might aspire it is probable enough that the second century bishop shared this as all other functions of the presbyterate st polycarp is described by his flock as an apostolic and prophetic teacher but as differentiation progressed teaching was one of the duties less easily retained in the bishop's hands and our third century authorities are full of references to the class known in greek as oi presbyteroi and Didiscalioi, in Latin as presbyteri dectoris. If presbyters were thus the bishop's counsellors and advisers where counsel was needed, his colleagues in the rite of Christian worship, his assistants and representatives in pastoral and teaching duties, the prototypes of the deaconate, are to be found in the seven of the acts, who were appointed to disburden the apostles of the work of poor and relief and charity to set them free for their more spiritual duties of prayer and ministering of the word. Quite similarly, in the diakonoi, or servants of the local church, the bishop found ready to hand a personal staff of clerks and secretaries. The Christian church, in one not unimportant aspect, was a gigantic friendly society, and the deacons were the relieving officers who, under the direction of the Episcopos or overseer sought out the local members of the society in their homes and dispensed to those who were in permanent or temporary need the contributions of their more fortunate brethren from their district visiting the deacons would derive an intimate knowledge of the circumstances and characters of individual christians and of the way in which each was living up to his profession by a very natural development it became part of their recognized duties as we learned from the dadaskelia to report to the bishop cases calling for the exercise of the penitential discipline of the church throughout all the early centuries the closeness of their personal relation with the bishop remains but what had been spread over the whole deaconate tends to be concentrated on an individual when the office of the archdeacon oculus episcopi according to a favourite metaphor begins to emerge the earliest instances of the actual title are circa 370-380 in optatus of sicilian of carthage and in the gesta inter liberium at felisum of felix of rome originally as it would seem deacons were not ministers of worship at all the earliest subordinate office in the liturgy was that of reader we need not suppose that o anaginashkan in the new testament means a distinct official in the church any more than in the synagogue but the same phrase in justin's apology has more of a formal sound and by the end of the second century the first of the minor orders had obviously an established place in church usage while ignatius names only bishop presbyters and deacons tertullian Contrasting the stable orders of Catholics with the unsettled arrangements of heretics, speaks of bishop, presbyter, deacon, and reader, alias hodie episcopus, crass alias, hodie diaconus, qui crass lector, hodie presbyter, qui crass laicus, and in remote churches or backwardly organized provinces, the same four orders were the minimum recognized long after Tertullian. As in the so-called Apostolic Church Order, third century perhaps for Egypt, and in the canons of the Council of Sardica, 343 for the Balkan Peninsula. The canon is proposed by the Spaniard Hosius of Cordova. But the process of transformation by which the deaconate became more and more a spiritual office began early, and one of its results was to degrade the readership by ousting it from its proper functions. It was as attendance on the bishop that the deacons, we may well suppose, were deputed from the first to take the Eucharist, over which the bishop had offered the prayers and thanksgivings of the church to the absent sick. In Rome, when Justin wrote, soon after 150, they were already distributing the consecrated bread and wine and water in the Christian assembly. Not very much later, the reading of the gospel began to be assigned to them cyprian is the latest writer to connect the gospel still with the reader by the end of the third century it was a constant function of the deacon and the reader had sunk proportionately in rank and dignity but this development of the deaconate is only part of a much larger movement in the greater churches at least an elaborate differentiation of functions and functionaries was in course of process during the third century under the pressure of circumstances and the accumulation of new duties which the increasing size and importance of the christian communities thrust upon the bishop much which he had hitherto done for himself and which long remained his in theory came in practice to be done for him by the higher clergy as they moved up to take his place they in turn left duties to be provided for as they drew more and more to the spiritual side of their work they left the more secular duties to new officials in their place. Evidence for Carthage and Rome in the middle of the 3rd century shows us that besides the principal orders of bishop, presbyters, and deacons, a large community would now complete its cleris by two additional pairs of officers, subdeacon and acolyte, exorcist and reader, making seven altogether. The Church of Carthage, we learn from the Cypriana correspondence had exorcists and readers apparently at the bottom of the clergy, and it had also hypodeconi and echolitae, who served as the bearers of letters or gifts, from the bishop to his correspondents. Subdeacons and acolytes were now in fact what deacons had earlier been, the personal and secretarial staff of the bishop, while exorcists and readers were the subordinate members of the liturgical ranks the combination of all these various officers into a single definitely graduated hierarchy was the work of the fourth century but it is at least adumbrated in the enumeration of the roman clerus addressed by pope cornelius cyprian's contemporary to fabius of antioch in 251 besides the bishop there were at rome 46 presbyters 7 deacons 7 subdeacons 42 acolytes of exorcists and readers together with doorkeepers there were fifty-two of widows and afflicted over fifteen hundred and all this great multitude was necessary in the church promotion from one rank of the ministry to another was of course no new thing in particular the rise from the deaconate to the presbyterate from the more secular to the more spiritual office was always recognized as a legitimate reward for good service they that have served well as deacons wrote st paul purchase for themselves an honourable step though when the apostolic church order interprets the vathmos kalos as tapos poimenikos it is a question whether the place of a presbyter or that of a bishop is meant but it was a serious and far-reaching development when in the fourth century the idea grew up that the christian clergy consisted of a hierarchy of grades through each of which it was necessary to pass in order to reach the higher offices. the council of nicaea had contented itself with the reasonable prohibition canon too of the ordination of neophytes as bishops or presbyters the council of sardica in 343 prescribes for the episcopate a prolixum tempus of promotions through munis of reader the officium of deacon and the ministerium of presbyter but it was in the church of rome that the conception of the cursus honorum borrowed we may suppose consciously or unconsciously from the civil magistrates of the roman state took deepest root probably the oldest known case of particular clerical offices held in succession by the same individual is the record in an inscription of pope Damisus, of either his own or his father's career there are variant readings pater and puer but even the son's career must have begun early in the fourth century exceptor lector levite, sacerdos ambrosiaster a roman and younger contemporary of damasus expresses clearly the conception of grades of order in which the greater includes the less so that not only are presbyters ordained out of deacons and not vice versa but a presbyter has in himself all the powers of the inferior ranks of the hierarchy Mayor enum ordo intra se et apud se habit et minorum presbyter enum et diaconi. Agitoficium et exorste et lectors. The earliest of the dated disciplinary decretals that one has come down to us, the letter of Pope Syracus to Hymerius of Tarragona in three eighty five, its prescriptions are repeated with less precision in that of Zosimus to Hesychius of Salona in four eighteen, emphasizes the stages and intervals of a normal ecclesiastical career. A child devoted early to the clerical life is made a reader at once, then acolyte, and subdeacon up to thirty, deacon for five years, and presbyter for ten, so that forty-five is the minimum age for a bishop. Even those who take orders in later life must spend two years among the readers or exorcists, and five as acolyte and subdeacon, but the requirements of Syracuse and Zosimus are moderate, when brought into comparison with the pseudo papal documents, which came crowding into being at the beginning of the sixth century, of the apocryphal councils, fathered on Pope Sylvester, the one who gives a cursus of fifty two years, the other of fifty five, before the episcopate. End of section 17.